Well, we're looking at the preparations for the Advent, and we've we've looked at the seed, and uh, we've traced, you know, so it's roughly traced uh, the seed from uh, the promise in the garden uh, through to Abraham to Jacob to Isaac to Isaac to Jacob, and then to Judah, then to David, and then of course we traced him to the one person in history and that is Mary the Virgin who brought forth this amazing person and then um, the next time then on a Sunday morning I think we looked at the name that uh, it's always good to have a name for the ba- for the baby and uh, as I said uh, last time that uh, there's 200 and odd names and uh, it would be a good study it would be a couple of years eh Joe? Whatever you want to, you know, when you're a pastor somewhere, you just preach on the name. That's it. It's there. It's all. It's all there for you, lovely. And then, thirdly, then I think it was last Thursday we looked at the time and the place. You know, where is he going to be born? Is it going to be a home birth? Is it going to be a natural birth? Is it going to be a water birth? You know, we got all these things now, all these options for birth. You know, and just Mary was just glad that she gave birth, I should imagine. Um, she never ever expected to find herself in, in Bethlehem and to give birth. That was God's doing. He got her down there. No way in the world would she have got down there on her own. And of course then there was the time. It was uh, essential that this little time slot of out of the 6,000 years that the, the earth has been, um, has been here, there was a little 60-year Slot, which would be even a greater miracle if it was if evolution was true. Out of the billions of years that the earth had been here, there was a sixty-year slot that Jesus could have come. He couldn't have come before that. He couldn't have come after it. And then, of course, there was Bethlehem. Now, when a couple know that they are expecting, they got two options. They can either keep it to themselves and sort of. Uh, have a little secret from everyone else and that's what me and Pauline did uh, on uh, on Matthew we kept it to ourselves for a while and we were the only ones that knew we're the only ones in the world that know that we're having a baby or you can immediately like Matthew did he told us straight away too soon I think uh, to be honest and of course I, I think I've told you before that our next door neighbour shouted it from the rooftops as soon as he knew even though that they had been discussing in the home that they wouldn't tell anybody. But um, as soon as he knew, he just couldn't keep it to himself. He burst out and told everybody. Such a, is the thrill of having a baby. So, you know, and each one, each option is a good option. You, you know, you keep it a secret. That's a good option. And then, or if you just broadcast it abroad, that's a good option as well. You know, as I look at this most important of Advents, I think that God was definitely in the category of being unable to keep it to himself. You know, it, uh, it could be said that he blurted it out to all and sundry. You know, he just couldn't keep it to himself. So excited was he at the birth of his son. Such was his enthusiasm, such was his delight, that he told everybody who'd listen. But to each person he told, this is a good idea, he gave a different version of the coming events. And so each person 
were expecting the Messiah expected a different outcome from him and when you put them all together it makes up the entire plan of salvation see to the Jews he promised a Messiah you know remember when the wise men came and of course uh, this is the the story of Christmas when the wise men came to Jerusalem and Herod with his anger inflamed sought the wisdom of the scribes they knew everything you know and it really gets to me that the, the Jews knew everything even to the smallest detail about the coming of Messiah and the reason being is because God had let it slip he blurted it out to to a prophet by the name of Micah hundreds of years before you can imagine him saying I'm going to have a son you know and he's going to be born in Bethlehem of Judea and he's going to be the one who is ruler he is the one who's going to shepherd my people Israel he's from of old he's my son he just couldn't keep it to himself and these men knew when they asked when, they, when Herod asked where was he to be born when Cyril is in Bethlehem you know it says yeah God told us they'd been told but notice how Herod framed the question he inquired of them where the Messiah where the Christ was to be born the Christ notice what they were led to expect and they were led to expect a ruler and a shepherd you know, that's what he told them was coming somebody who would rule and shepherd his people Israel now having heard the comments of the wise men and the obvious understanding of those comments by Herod you would have thought that these scribes would have been unable to contain themselves for one moment longer you would have thought that they would have got to Bethlehem before the wise men got on their camels because if they took as long as Alison took to get on her camel in Israel they would have had plenty of time a ruler at last remember these people were under the heel of Rome they wanted the Messiah to come and rid them of these captors they were under this puppet king called Herod who was the most violent man in history up until this time you know when you'd have thought that a ruler at last it was their dream come true it was Israel's dream come true for them to have someone who would lead them and prosper them and guide them it was almost too much to contemplate you know we know from, from Daniel how much this nation suffered since the glory days of the King David you know they'd suffered Babylon of course the Medes and the Persians uh, the Greeks and now the Romans they were uh, I, like, you know, I think we said a couple of weeks ago when we were doing our prophecy studies that Israel had never never been in charge of their own affairs from the moment that Nebuchadnezzar took them until 1948 so they were a, a people that were under the heel of one regime or another you and yet you they have David's greatest son who was about to climb the steps to the throne and make everything right 
You would have thought that they would have been over there to see what this person was, to see who it, it was. And yet, it seems that they completely ignored the whole thing. In fact, the Bible says that Herod was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Why would they be troubled when they were looking for him? When he was the answer to their problems? Why? Why did they not embrace him? You know, I'm, you know, I'm going to go very far to see that our own society is exactly the same. You know, Jesus Christ has come to promise peace and goodwill. He's come to bring hope and joy and salvation and everlasting life. It's exactly what every one of us is looking for in life. And yet when you mention the name of Jesus, everybody goes rigid. They're afraid of him. You know, they, they are troubled. And all the world with them because Jesus has come. This little mite in a, in a manger is the most frightening person in the, on the globe today. And yet all he's come to do is bring peace and joy and hope. You know, and you wonder, why is that? Why, why did it happen here? Why did they completely ignore the old thing? Nothing whatsoever is said about these chief priests or scribes and they don't figure again for 12 whole years. It was when Jesus, this one that they had ignored at his birth, baffled them in the temple with his understanding and his knowledge of the scriptures. You see, these people that, you know, again in our studies, as we looked at Abraham, the promise that God gave to Abraham, these people were about to bless the world. Bless the world. I want in Abraham all the families of the world are going to be blessed. And here he is. He's lying in a manger not two or three miles away from where the question is asked. And yet they have no interest. And here he is again, 12 years later, sitting in the temple, baffling them. You know, God brought his son into the world through these people. These people had been privileged to see the hand of God more than any other nation on earth. These people had been privy to God's good news of a son. And yet it's these very people who missed the opportunity afforded to them. You know and how many times do we miss opportunities that God brings to us to receive his blessing, to receive his joy, to receive hope. You know, we, we miss so many. You know, and it's a, an indictment on people like you and I who are privy to the word of God, privy to the gospel. We know what the gospel is. We know who Jesus is. We know what he came to do. We know what he came and did. And we know what that means for us and for the people that are abroad. And yet, sometimes we miss that opportunity of fellowship with Him, of serving Him, of loving Him, of knowing Him. We've just sung it. The greatest thing in all my life is knowing, loving, and serving. I want to know you more. But how often do we miss the opportunity to do that? Even though we know, you know, opportunity after opportunity squandered. Because they did nothing about it. And sometimes we don't. You know, when Christmas is here again, 
and the message will be given. But how many people will walk away untouched? Here he is, the babe in the manger, who became the man on the cross, who became God on the throne. And yet they totally ignore it. It's heartbreaking. But they are the first people that we're going to look at tonight, the first onlookers of this great event. The Jews, they've been given such a privilege, such an insight, and they were expecting someone who would come and deliver them, shepherd them, guide them. But he also let the good news slip to a group of wise men. Now these were a part of that story, of course. But they, these are the wise men from the East. Listen to what uh, the Word of God says. The Gentiles shall come to you a light, and kings to the brightness of you arising. The multitude of camels shall cover you a land. The dromedaries of Midian and Ephah, and all those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and incense, and they shall proclaim the praises of the Lord. What a wonderful description of the wise men. And what a wonderful description of you and I. Because as Gentiles, we have come to his light. We have come to the brightness of his rising. And we have bring, brought our incense of worship and praise to him tonight. We've proclaimed the praises of the Lord. You know, in, in many respects, we are the Magi. We are today's Magi. Because God has let this good news slip to a group of people just like you and me. Or a group of people who are you and me. If you can say it like that. You know, there are, it's, prob- it's more than likely, I would say, that the Magi were probably students of, of Daniel. Or Daniel's writings. You and the prophets of the Babylonian captivity. You know, it was one thing uh, that happens when a church is preaching the word then not only is the, the immediate gathering uh, blessed by God's word, but it goes out, you know, and if you remember, there are quite a number of captivity prophets, you know, and they would speak in two situations. You know, and these, these Gentiles, these men of wisdom, they would have studied what Daniel said and what Ezekiel said and, uh, and what all the other sort of captivity prophets said and they of course Daniel himself promises a king <coughs> a king and uh, and that's why they came looking for a king now to the Jews he promised a messiah he promised a shepherd he promised a ruler but to these people he promised a king and that was their question where is he who is born king of the Jews you know, and uh, the thing I love about the, the Magi or the wise men were they were alert to the signs of the times. There's another lovely verse in the scripture um, where someone says, Oh, if we were only like the children of Issachar, who knew how to read the signs of the times and therefore knew what to do. You know, I've, um, I've been talking to a couple of... Uh, old friends today, people that I've known for donkey's years and perhaps only see them in moments like like we had this afternoon. You know, and the two friends, two brothers actually, 
who I spoke to in, in great deep, great length out there. Uh, one was from Bristol, and he belongs to a big church in Bristol. And one is from Swansea, and they belong to a big church in Swansea. And they were asking about our big church uh, in Estrad, and I was telling them how big it was and how many people. No, and we talked about um, how to reach the lost. How do you reach the lost? How do you go out and, and sort of uh, ac- you know, uh, uh, accost people with the gospel? And of course, if I was to go back 30 years, then I would say that, yes, I'm from there back, um, open airs would perhaps be the thing. Well, well, let's go out in the open air. Or when I, we were in the bush, let's go out tracking. You know, and all those things that we used to do many years ago, um, they bore fruit. And uh, perhaps it's the reason why we are here today, because we're of that age when that type of thing would bear fruit. But you see that when you look at the situation today, you know, I, you know we've stood on the, the corner or the, um, the mill garden or whatever it's called, and we've basically preached the gospel to moving cars. And uh, you wonder what on earth that has done. You know, and if you can remember Eric, the evangelist from Pentra, he used to choose the most... Well, he used to stand in the middle of the crossroads uh, by um, a station. You know, and he used to preach at the lights. You know, and, and you think, oh, well, I've preached at least. I've preached at least. But, you know, it's not, doesn't seem to be bearing fruit anymore. You know, and the reason being that even if you preached on the street now, people wouldn't see you because they would be looking at their screens. They would walk past and they would go and totally ignore you. In fact, I was walking through somewhere last um, Saturday and I had to get out of the way of people because they didn't know I was there. They didn't know. And, and this is what one of the boys said. He said, uh, what they've done is um, they've filmed their children's work and they've, they've made it into um, an app that, uh, that you can log on and you can get down with the kids. And stuff like that. And, and, you know, we were talking about things like that. And, you know, I'm not saying that, you know, the, the, that's the perfect way to go and reach people. And I'm not saying that we should ditch open airs and tracking and stuff. You know, when one of them said, well, it's relationships now. We've got to build relationships with people. Yeah, and there's loads of ways. But the children of Issachar says they knew the signs of the times and they knew what to do. And I wonder sometimes if we're a little bit naive as Christians because we've got a message that well it blows me away you know and if every and if people understood it it would blow them away as well you know I wonder how many of us uh, and I'm talking about myself and not talking about you sort of seek God and Lord how in 2020 are we going to reach people for you oh that we would be like the children of Issachar and know the signs of the times. You see, the, that's the signs of the times. To, to the one boy, it was, it was technology. You know, and he's got a point because everyone's looking at their screen. To another boy, it was relationships. And he's got a point because everyone is seeking to, to, to belong somewhere. To know what to do. You're that person. 
has got to be the most important person in the church. Someone who knows what to do. You know, and I, I believe that the only way that we'll ever know what to do is by seeking God. As a church, as individuals, seeking God for the answer that will unlock, or the key that will unlock, our community to the gospel. Because at the moment, we are touching very little people. You know, and, uh, and you're these men, they were alert to the signs of the times. And therefore, because they were alert, they were expectant of the faithfulness of God's promises. You know, having heard of uh, uh, the 70 years of Israel confinement, and then release as Daniel had, had, had shown, you know, they were up for it. This star. It's got to mean something. It's got to mean the king has been born. Let's get out of here and let's go to where this is about to happen. You know, and they left everything. So they were unlike the scribes who had fallen asleep. These men were awake to the prospect of divine intervention in the affairs of the world. And unlike a lot of the church today, which seems to be sleeping, when all around... The signs of the times are raging. These men got up and went. You know, I sit and watch as more and more Christians neglect the means of grace, which is fellowship. Do you know, one of the clearest warnings in the Old Testament concerning the end times is that very thing. Hebrews chapter 10 says, Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. You know, and yet, knowing that, we witness a shrinking process going on concerning gathered Christians. We don't need to gather anymore. We don't need, you know, and it, they are saying is a sign of the times. It should, it should be an alert. And yet, like the scribes and the Pharisees, it has lulled us to sleep. But the wise men, they are different. They got up. They got up and they went. You know, the faith of the wise men is also seen in their reaction to the child that they found in a peasant's home. Now, can you imagine these men? They've been given this amazing prophecy, or they've been studying this amazing prophecy that this ruler is going to, this uh, king is going to be born. And they see a star and they realize that this is the time. And here they go traveling all across the desert. You know, perhaps for two years, if we are to understand the scriptures, because they, it, well, the boy was, you know, was, he was in a home when they, when they paid visit to him. They'd come to pay homage to a king and they find him in lowly surroundings in a house in Bethlehem. You know, they went to the obvious place, to the palace. You know, and how would they feel when they came to a scene that totally lacked any of the royal trappings that you would expect to see what would happen to their faith would it drain away when they looked at humility or humiliation instead of obvious royalty you know and the Matthew tells us 
He answers our question. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child and Mary with his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. You know, I think, you know, there's that car sticker, of course, when it says, wise men followed the star, or followed Jesus, uh, wise men still do. Do you know what I think this world needs? This church needs a couple of wise men around. People who are up on the word, abreast of the world and its progress. People who heed the warnings so plainly told in the scripture. Instead of following after fad, after fad, after fashion that Satan seems to sort of strew along the way. Destructing and even destroying the faith. The wise men, they are brilliant people. Men of action. <laughs> yeah, I was listening, so. You know, we could look at other onlookers that God had sort of uh, blurted out this amazing news to. We could look at Simeon. What was he told to look out for? Well, he was told out to look for God's salvation. Or we could look at Han- Anna, the, the prophetess, and she was told from God that Redemption and consolation would come with the child. On the other hand, we could look at Satan. He was an onlooker. And he was led to expect frustration and destruction. We could even look at the angelic hosts. And they were given the message that the Saviour had been born. But I want to finish uh, tonight with another man who had been given a definite message as to the coming of this God-man. Now he was only a few months old when Jesus was actually born. He was, he was a blood cousin of Jesus. And he's most important when it comes to who God told and what God told about his son. Of course his name is John the Baptist. And he was told to look out for the new covenant. And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove. And he remained upon him. And I didn't know him. But he who sent me to baptize with water said, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testify that this is the Son of God. What an amazing privilege this man had. You know, he he was about to witness the moment when the Old Testament was fulfilled and the New Covenant was brought into being. And it happened right before his eyes. What an amazing moment. This man is so far the most privileged. He never saw Jesus as a baby. But he saw him as the new covenant. Listen to what it says in Ezekiel. I will give you a new heart. And I will put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh. And give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you. And cause you to walk in my statutes. And you will keep my judgments and do them. I will put my spirit in you and you shall live 
and I will place you in your own land. And then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it. You know, fulfilled at a stroke, Jesus, as he stood on the banks of the Jordan. You know, God had showed John everything. And he knew that the new covenant was at hand. And that it was Jesus who is the new covenant. This sign of a dove descending upon Christ and resting. So you go into the Old Testament and you see the Spirit coming upon and leaving. Coming upon Samson and leaving. Coming upon Gideon and leaving. There was no intimate relationship with God in the Old Testament. But it was the new covenant, the greatest delight that God ever has is when he comes and indwells his people. Jesus said in John chapter 14, the Holy Spirit will come, he will be with you, but he shall be in you. When he says in John chapter 7, you know, anyone thirsts, let him come to me, and out of his belly will flow rivers of living water. Says it to the woman of Samaria. You know, there is a time coming when when God will be so resident within us that all of his joy and his peace and his love and his grace won't come on us. It will come out of us. Because he is dwelling with us. And here we are. You'll be better off than Abram ever was. David ever was. Any of the Old Testament saints. We're better off than John the Baptist ever was. That's what he says. Says he's the greatest prophet that ever was born of a woman. And yet he is the least in the kingdom. Why? Because he didn't live to see the new covenant being ratified. He saw... What was happening? He saw the end of the old covenant. Now Jesus was on the scene. And he is the new covenant. And the spirit is indwelling him. Something big is happening. On these banks of the river Jordan. That no one else saw. Except John. Because John had been told. By God to expect it. You know I've told you before. That all these people. Simeon, Anna. John the Baptist and all these different people they never were part of the New Testament even though their names appear in the Gospels they were never part of the New Testament because Jesus was the only New Testament character until he died and rose again and what did he say to his people on resurrection night receive the Holy Spirit and receive him now And that was the moment when the new covenant became a part of you and I. He was there and he gave himself to us. And John the Baptist, he saw this. This is absolutely amazing. The new covenant has come. You know, it's no wonder that John had no complaints when his disciples left him and went to follow. Can you imagine what he must have felt like? In the, you know, in the normal scheme of things. You brought up your disciples and you've taken them everywhere and you've taught them everything. You and this young whippersnapper comes on the scene and he says a few words and all your disciples go and follow him. But he never complained. You know, because he knew 
that Christ had more to offer than ever he could because he was going to offer the new covenant when John the Baptist could only offer the old covenant so it's no wonder that he claimed that he must increase while I must decrease because John the Baptist saw his place in it all and he was so glad so glad to sort of eulogize the Christ the new covenant because he knew who he was because God had told him and here is Jesus ready and willing to impart the Holy Spirit of God to those who put their trust in him so that he might indwell us and stay with us and in us for eternity you know it's no wonder that Christ called him the greatest prophet that ever lived because he you know he never lived to see the full measure of the kingdom as I said you know because this same Jesus had to die to secure it but he was a great onlooker do you know we could do with a few great onlookers today you know it grieves me to see so many people they want position and they want status and they want celebrity you know and uh, and that's not what it's about John, John he, he didn't want any of that you know, and I really believe, I think I've said it thousands of times in my, uh, in my time, that John the Baptist withdrew himself from the world and he grew up in the desert with nothing. Only God's presence and God's, and, and God's word. And therefore he didn't buy in to the things of the world. And yet so many preachers today and so many Christians, they've bought into the celebrity status you know, and they wear their, you know, their well-cut suits and they drive their massive cars and they fly their, their private jets and things. And, and here is the greatest prophet ever born. And all he had was a camel hair shirt, a leather belt and a box full of locust. I couldn't, well, I, I'm assuming not for, his, not for his shirt to blow up in the wind, I would have thought. And of course he had a, he had a, a little bottle of honey as well. You know, and it, you know, and it, and it grieves him, you know, anything. <laughs> when you think of, uh, of how humble he was, and then we see it all. We could do with some great onlookers today. You know, and uh, this is what Paul says. He was great as well. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. You know, we have three groups of people who were let into the secret of Christ's birth. Some of them were promised a Messiah and they rejected Him. Some of them were promised a King. And they worshipped him. And others were promised a new covenant. Some grabbed it with both hands. Some missed it altogether. And some were apathetic. You know, and here we are tonight. We have our own opportunity to grasp this multifaceted 
uh, come in of Christ. So much is offered through the scriptures and through the promises of God. Salvation is but one of them. And here we are, we've received that gift. You know, we are born again. You know, we are spirit-filled. We are guaranteed a place in heaven. Salvation is but one of them. You know, I believe that God would have us all push through and receive from Him blessings untold. Ephesians chapter 1 tells us that these blessings have already been given us. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. They're already a part of our spiritual experience. You know, and the New Testament is all about making them our own. You know what God says about us? You know what God sees in us? You know what, what God is preparing for us? Perhaps they're a little bit above our imagination. You know, but I think the, the job or the, the joy of a Christian is bringing all these spiritual things into a practical sense so that we can live guilt-free. We can live with joy. We can live with expectancy. We can live with a vibrant desire to tell others of this great and amazing thing that God has done to us. You know, and as we come up to the, the main event of Advent and all the stories that surround it, pray that they, they will all be a spur that will take us into the future, into 2020, with our eyes wide open and our hearts flush with excitement as to who we are actually serving. Is he the Messiah? Yes. Is he the King? Yes. Is he the New Covenant? Yes. And he's much more besides. You know, and that's how wonderful our Lord and Saviour actually is. Father, I want to I thank you.